If you would please open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. We read in verse 5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. And that sums up everything about the Lord Jesus Christ, does it not? He's a faithful Savior, faithful mediator. He's a faithful redeemer, faithful to the Father, faithful to his covenant people. We sing that song, Great is thy faithfulness, Jesus Christ the Lord. He's the faithful witness. He's the faithful prophet and preacher of the gospel. What a fit word to describe God's well-pleasing Son. Jesus Christ, our Lord, faithful. You see, he's faithful to his Father, and he's faithful to his people. Just think of it, beloved. He's the sum and total of our salvation, the very Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last of all of our salvation. Beloved, all of our salvation is based upon his faithfulness. You see, his people are justified by his faithfulness, not their own, although they strive to be a faithful people. No, don't misunderstand me. God's people do want to be faithful, but thank God our salvation is not based upon our own sorry obedience, but rather ever so blessedly upon the perfect, pleasing faithfulness of God's well-pleasing Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, beloved, we're justified by his faithfulness. We read in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. And this is uh, among, among the faithful translations in English. You'll find it rendered as I'm about to read it to you. It says here in Galatians chapter 2 verse 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. That is, we're justified by the faithfulness of God's well-pleasing Son. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And that's good news, is it not? Justified by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And we read here in the book of Revelation, as it says in chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We looked at this last week, how that the whole record of Scripture, the book we call the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, all of it, beloved, every blessed book, every comforting chapter, every verily verse is about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Joseph, have you seen him in all the book? In every book? Have you seen him in every book, Joseph? I believe I have. Have you seen him in every verse? Well, not as yet, <laughs> that's for sure. But my friend, know this. His testimony is there to be seen in every verse. You see, he's the Alpha and the Omega of all Scripture. And every verse of it, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is by way of review. We looked at this last week. But if you would turn to Luke chapter 24, this is what we read there in Luke 24. In verse 27, it says there, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, 
that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. As our Lord said to those two men on the road to Emmaus, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things, this is verse 44, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And those disciples said, they said this to one another, did not our heart burn within us while our Lord talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Consider the book of Proverbs. The 25th proverb says there, beginning in verse 1, to turn there with me. The 25th proverb, verse 1, it says there, These are also proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, copied out. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to, is to search out a matter. It sets forth here, the glory of God is to conceal. And our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, declares, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. He has concealed them. You see that? It is the glory of God to conceal the gospel from the self-righteous, from the, the holier-than-thou crowd. But, beloved, it is the honor of kings. And that's speaking about ever so blessedly about Christ, our majestic head, and his glorious body. Beloved, you and me who believe on Christ, beloved, we've been made priests and kings unto the Father, and being united to his Son, that vital union in God's well-pleasing Son, he's made us priests and kings. And it is our undeserved honor to search out all these revealed riches we have in Christ. What riches, you say? Our Lord said, I thank thee, O Father, thou hast revealed these things these blessed things of the gospel unto babes, under, unto your children. Proverbs 25, verse 3, The heaven for height and the earth for depth, and the heart of kings is unsearchable. What is unsearchable to a holy priest, a royal king like you and me? And never forget it, beloved. God's people are only holy. We are only royal being vitally joined to God's king. Him that loved us, and washed us of our sins in his own blood. So what is unsearchable? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3. I'll read this to you. If you want to look it up, you can. Or make a note. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, the apostle writes there, I am less than the least of all saints. Yet God's grace is given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see that? The unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. What a fit comparison to the unsearchable riches of Christ, the unsearchable heights of the heavens. Consider how the Jehovah God, the triune God, said to Abraham, Look to heaven and tell the stars if thou art able to number them. And Abraham couldn't. And the true and living God said unto him, So shall thy seed be. 
and even in our day, mankind cannot tell the height of the heavens. Listen to this quote from universetoday.com. It says there, Astronomers estimate that there are between 100 billion to 400 billion stars contained within our galaxy, though some estimate there may be as many as a trillion. End quote. Now listen to what John writes in, in Revelation. Revelation, and I'll begin reading there in verse 5, or rather verse 9. Revelation 5, verse 9. This is speaking about the redeemed. This is the new song of the redeemed. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now I did the math on that. The total of that number is 100 trillion. That's a one with 14 zeros behind it. So what's the point? Just as Abraham was unable to search out all the stars of the temporal heaven above, so too John could not search out the finite number of the heavenly host of God's servants both angels and saints, in the new heaven and the new earth. And, beloved, it will be our honor to search out all the infinite riches we have in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Does the atheist mock and say, we know the height of the heaven, we know the depth of the earth? Do you now? My friend, do you think that this book is a science book? While it's true, God's word sets forth many scientific facts, but it's not a science book. Rather, it's a testimony book. And besides, I'm not looking to a temporal heaven or a temporal earth. Rather, I'm looking to the new heaven and the new earth of which our Lord said he prepared a place for every believer and said that where I am, there you may be also. Now, resuming our study here in the book of Revelation, look with me there in chapter 1, verse 4. Notice the first word there. It says, John. Now, John was a chosen apostle. John was a sinner saved by the grace of God. And John writes this revelation of Jesus Christ that God had given to him, and he in turn gives it to the seven churches. John to the seven churches. John to the complete church of God. You see, he's writing to all who have ever believed the gospel of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And he mentions these seven churches in verse 11, and, and we'll get to that eventually. But the point I would like to emphasize here is that the number seven speaks of their completeness being united to our majestic head, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, of the completeness of his glorious body. And so this letter is the word of God to his glorious body, his complete church. And the word church simply means the called out ones. And remember, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is made up of sinners called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so he addresses those seven churches which were residing at that time in, the, in these local congregations which were in Asia. And he said, grace be unto you. And remember, beloved, grace comes from God. Grace doesn't come from the Apostle John. Rather, grace comes from God. For of his fullness have we all received grace for grace. You see, grace and peace come from God. Verse 4, 
Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come. That is, grace and peace from the eternal, ever-present, never-changing God. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He's the God that is. He's the God that has always been. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. From eternity past to eternity future. The God that was, the God that is, and the God that is to come. And that covers everything, does it not? He's the eternal, unchanging God. And from the seven spirits, that is, God the Holy Spirit, the complete, powerful, almighty Holy Spirit, the seven spirits which are before God's throne. Now, gospel blessings flow from His sovereign throne. All those unsearchable blessings from the everlasting triune God unto His covenant people. And that word throne, as I mentioned before, we looked at this last week, how it's given to us some 40 times. Just like the number seven or seventh, the, the picture of completeness is given to us some 59 times in the book of Revelation. And these blessings, all these blessings flow from the God, from God the Father, who chose us in the eternal covenant of grace. And He's blessed us according as He has chosen us in His Son before the foundation of the world. As was read to us a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 1, it's God the Father who has chosen us, and it's God the Son who's redeemed us. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the faithful witness who has redeemed us. You see, He's purchased us with His own precious blood. And beloved, it's in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. The Son of God purchased us. That is, He redeemed us with His own blood, and God the Holy Spirit applies that blood to our soul in regenerating grace. And you hath God the Holy Spirit quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And when the Lord was teaching Nicodemus about the necessity of the new birth, he said, Marvel not that I said unto thee, Nicodemus, you must be born again. See, this is not an optional thing, beloved. This is not optional. You must be born again from above to see the kingdom of God. You must be born again to, to enter the kingdom of God. He said, you must. And he said, it's the spirit that quickeneth. But the flesh, the flesh profits nothing. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And you hath God quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. Verse 8 in Revelation 1, our Lord declares there, I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the ending. He's the beginning and the ending of all things. He's the first cause and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. That's what saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. He's the one to come, beloved, the Almighty. And he says again in verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches. Thank God we have his word. What a privilege. What a blessing that God should give and open it up for us. And we read in Revelation 4, 8, how that he's holy. There in the latter part of verse uh, chapter 4, verse 8, how that he's holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. You see, beloved, he's to come. 
The Lord is coming back and we wait. We look for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am that I am the almighty God. And he said beside me, there's no other. And when he appeared to Abraham of old, he said, I am the almighty God. Now, just saying that he's God, that's good and that's true. But I like this word almighty. And to be sure, he is the mighty God. But further to that, he's the almighty God, the God that has all power in heaven and on earth. And he exercises his power in heaven and on earth according to his infinite wisdom. And beloved, he never makes a mistake, for he has all power. He said to Moses, I am that I am. And we read in Isaiah 57 how that God inhabits eternity past and eternity future. And right now, beloved, our Lord and God is unchanging. We read in Hebrews 13, verse 8, how that our Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he is the same yesterday, today and forever because he's the almighty God, the ever-present God, the all-knowing God that never changes. You see, he's the one who rules and controls all things. He's the beginning and he's the end of all things and everything in between. And it is this one who is almighty, who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, all-powerful, who is ever present, everywhere present. He's, he says to his people in this blessed book in chapter 1, not, not a minister, not John, not an angel. He is saying this to his people. Grace to you and peace. And my friend, if God says grace to you, mark it down. He's, he's gracious to you. And he'll be gracious to whom he will be gracious. And, and that by his sovereign grace. And so we know he will be gracious to his people. And we know that. We believe that. How that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And that eternal, never-ending grace and peace comes from, the, from our great God. And that can't be overstated. We can't overemphasize this, how that salvation is all of God's grace. Grace to you, beloved, and grace comes from God the Father. Peter writes in, or rather, um, the beloved physician Luke records this in the book of Acts. He records what Peter says. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And in Romans chapter 11, Paul tells us, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And in 1 Peter 5 verse 10, Paul sets forth the grace of God as being from the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is, to him be glory and power forever and ever. You see, he's the God of all grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. And this grace comes from the Almighty God, who was and is and is to come. And that means his grace is eternal. You see, just as God is eternal, so too his grace. And then he mentions this word, peace. Peace from him who is the almighty God. And peace is always the result of God's sovereign grace. And it's always grace, and then peace follows. Those who know the grace of God, those who know the truth of God, those who have their minds stayed on him. We were looking at this in our study this morning. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 26, and I'll repeat now what I, what I said then. Wouldn't it be a blessing if what I read now would be applicable to every soul 
in this auditorium. It says here, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. How come? Because he trusteth in thee. He is the Savior who shall, not maybe, not like to, but shall save his people from their sins. We read in Romans chapter 5, while you're turning there, know this, beloved, peace is from him who is the Almighty God. And peace is always a result of God's sovereign grace. And it's always grace. And then peace follows those who know the truth. And that's a capital T, truth. Those who know Christ by God's grace. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says there, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's how this peace is made. How are sinners with enmity against God by nature? How are we reconciled unto God? How does a dirty, damned dog sinner like you and me, how are we reconciled to God? How is peace made? How, how is it that, that we're reconciled? Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ made peace for us with his own precious blood. And that's the good news of the gospel. And he's not only the God of all grace. In Romans chapter 15, verse 33, he sets forth, he's set forth as the God of peace. And then in Romans 16, verse 20, it says there, ever so blessedly, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And in Ephesians 2, turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it says there, there he's our peace. And in the second Thessalonians, Chapter 3, it says there in verse 16, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 16, it says there of him that he is the Lord of peace. And then in Hebrews, Hebrews 7, verse 2, again, this, this another blessed title of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. It says there in, in Hebrews 7, verse 2, that he is at Look, notice the latter end of that verse. He is the king <laughs> of peace. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, many of you know this, uh, this blessed verse there. I believe it says, uh, unto us a son, a child is given. Unto us a son is, is born. No, let me read it. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. What a, what a glorious passage describing there our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, speaking about his humanity, that the body was formed in the womb of the virgin. Unto us a son is given. As the eternal Son of God, he cannot be born, he must be given. And this is speaking about the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is 100% man, 100% God. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's sovereign. He sovereignly reigns over all things. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And this is why I read this portion, so I could give you this other blessed title of our Lord and God. He is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And we read in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, it says there, 
This is uh, verse 20. Ever so blessedly we read there. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You see, he's the God of all grace. He's the God of all peace. And then he set forth in other places as the father of mercies. And what do sinners need? What does a sinner like you and a sinner like me need? We need grace. Yes, we need grace. We need peace. And so too, we need mercy. And he said, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And he's called the Father of mercies. Two times we read in the Psalms, Save me for thy mercy's sake. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's the one who's our Savior, beloved. He's the one who's our, who's our Redeemer. And we're saved not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And speaking of his mercy, we read in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, and that because his compassions fail not, and they're new every morning, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Now look at verse 5 in our portion. Listen to one of the most comprehensive statements declaring unto us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Now, a witness is someone who has seen something or, or knows something and is able to describe something truthfully. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the faithful prophet of God. And he is the first begotten, the first raised from the dead. And he was delivered for our offenses. And the Father raised him again from the dead for our justification. And he is the Prince of Peace. And he's the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king of all glory. Unto him that loved us, the latter part of verse 5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our own, of our sins in his own blood. And the father sees everything that his son has done in his faithfulness. And he's loved his covenant people and he's washed them from their sins in his own precious blood. No matter how hard you try to rest or twist that verse or stand it on its head, you cannot make that say that salvation is by what you do or don't do. I mean, should you do that, my friend, you'll rest that scripture to your own destruction and condemnation. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, and he did it in his own blood. And he made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. We were lowly beggars. Verse 6. And he hath made us kings. My friend, you're looking at a king. And I'm looking at some people he's made kings. And priests unto God and his father. So who gets the glory? What does the word of God say? To him be glory and dominion and power forever and ever. Which is and which was and which is to come. Almighty God. Amen. Now we see here in verse 5 and 6. We see who Jesus Christ is. We see what he's done, and we see what the blessed results of his work were. And we see here who he is, what he's done, and the blessed results. So who is Jesus Christ? Well, ask somebody as you travel around town, and you might get a dozen different answers from a dozen different people. 
Many have varied opinions of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Our Lord said one time to his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, come back from the dead. But some say Elias, and others say one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered, and saith unto the Lord Jesus, Thou art the Christ of the living God. And remember, beloved, he's Lord not by what we do, for God made him both Lord and Christ. Peter declares in Acts chapter 2, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye crucify, both Lord and Christ. And Paul writes in Romans 14, verse 9, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. So he is the Christ of God. He is the Lord. And that name Jesus, what does it mean? It means uh, Joshua. It means Savior. And so we call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And he's God's anointed Messiah. He's the anointed Christ of God. He's the anointed mediator, surety, substitute, advocate, intercessor, redeemer, and deliverer of all his people. You see, he's the Savior who cannot and shall not fail. And he's both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And it says in verse 5 that he's the faithful witness. He's the prophet of God that was promised to Moses, the prophet of God that would that he would raise up to reveal unto us the way of salvation. Remember uh, John 14, verse 6? In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, it says there, and this is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, The Lord Jesus saith unto the objects of his grace, the Lord Jesus Christ saith unto the object of his grace, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by and through me. You see, he is the faithful witness who declares himself the only way of salvation. And neither is there salvation in any other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is the Lord Jesus Christ the faithful prophet, priest, and king of God, so too the Son of God is the faithful witness of the way of salvation and that perfect righteousness established in Christ Jesus. And he is the first begotten from the dead. Now look at Revelation 1, verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. You see, he died for our sins. Our many sorry sins demands a payment that we cannot pay, that we could not pay. But the Lord Jesus Christ paid our sin debt, and he died for our many sins according to the Scriptures. But now, behold, behold, he says, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of heaven, uh, rather, keys of hell and of death. Again, Revelation verse, verse 18 Revelation 1, verse 18, he says, I'm he that liveth, and I was dead. Our sin demanded death. The guilty soul that sinneth must die. And the Lord died because he was made to be guilty of our many sins. And behold, he said, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of hell and of death. You see, beloved, he was delivered for our offenses. And the Father raised him again for our justification. And now he's alive forevermore. And what do his people say to that? Beloved, we say, Amen. He says, 
I have the keys of hell and death. And my friend, if you have the keys to something, you own it, do you not? I remember when I bought my first car in 1997, a brand new Honda Civic. I had the keys to that car because I owned it. I chose it, I bought it, and I paid for it. And it's mine, and I brought it home. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ has the keys of hell and death. He has the key to the grave, and that's what hell means here. You see, he has the keys to the grave. My friend, how are you and I going to get out of the grave? How are you and I going to get out of the grave? I mean, one of these days, this body of ours is going to be put into a hole to molder in the ground. So how are you and I going to get out of that hole? Do you have the keys to that grave? Do you have the authority? I can't go to your grave and unlock it. I can't dig you up and make you, your bones live. But beloved, he has the keys of hell and death. He has the right and the authority, and by his grace, beloved, he's going to call his people out of the grave in that resurrection morning, and that because he has the keys of hell and death. And he's the first begotten from the dead, and he ever lives to intercede for us. And that's the message we studied through the book of Acts. Remember, the message of the early church was, you killed him. You killed him. You crucified the prince of life. But God raised him from the dead. God raised his son from the dead. And now his resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. Because he said, because I live. Do you remember him saying that, beloved? (laughs) What a blessing to hear that with the years of faith. He said, because I live, ye shall live also. And furthermore, it says here that he's the prince of the kings of the earth. And in Revelation 19, he's, he describes himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so no matter where any earthly king reigns, know this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the King and Lord of that man. The Lord Jesus Christ is the King of Joe Biden and of Vladimir Putin. He's the King of Trump. He's the King of all men. You see, all men are in the land of the Lord. And the Lord turns them according to his own sovereign will. The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. And the Lord is the prince of the kings of the earth. And he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And so this one who's the faithful witness, this one who's defeated death, hell, and the grave, this one who is the king of kings and lord of lords is the one who has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own precious blood. Now he's the almighty savior. And all the glory is unto him who loved us. And beloved, we only love him because he first loved us. And Jeremiah records, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You see, he has an everlasting love for his people. Indeed, he's everlastingly loved us in the eternal covenant of grace. And remember, his love is sovereign. What did he say? Jacob have I loved, Esau I loved less. That's not it. That's not what he said. Rather, he said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Remember, beloved, God will have mercy on whom he will, and he'll love whom he will. And his love is not only sovereign love, his love is sacrificial love. And unto him who loved us and washed us is speaking here not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sin atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loved us. And he loved us so much that he gave himself for our sins. 
He purchased and bought us with his own blood, and by his precious blood were redeemed. You see, beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ obtained for us eternal redemption with his own blood. Indeed, God's own Son cleanses us from all our sins. And he loved us. In fact, he, he still does. And he washed us so thoroughly, so completely, so totally that God said their sins and their iniquities I'll no longer remember. As far as the east is from the west, I've removed your transgressions. And beloved, this redemption he accomplished at the cross of Calvary and applied it to our hearts in power by regenerating grace. Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He'll finish it. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it. He will finish it. He'll perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then he says, God's made us kings. Now, by nature, we're poor, beggarly sinners. Yet he's made us kings unto our God. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. You see, he's made us kings, and he's made us priests unto God and his Father. He's made us priests. And now we have full access to his throne of grace. And he says, come boldly under the throne of grace. Remember, under the law, only the high priest had access to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. But now, beloved, that veil has been rent in two. So that now God says, come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we can do that because he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father through that vital union, that being made one with God's Son. And who gets the glory for that? To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. God forbid, Paul said, that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Beloved, he saves us with an everlasting, ready-to-be-revealed salvation. And what do you say to that? Beloved, we say what it says right here at the end of verse 6. Amen. Amen. By God's grace, we see here clearly how that salvation is all of the Lord. And so rightly so, to him be all the honor and glory, both now and forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive all honor, glory, blessing, and power, both now and forever. Now look at verse 7. Behold, stop and take a look at this. Behold, he that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and King of kings, cometh with clouds of glory. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So when is the Lord Jesus Christ coming back? I have no idea. But behold, he cometh. Behold, he cometh. He's on his way. Now, if you would turn to the last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, he cometh. All the Old Testament scriptures say someone's coming. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they say he's come. And the epistles say the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And in Revelation 22, verse 20, we read, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. 
Beloved, he's on his way. And our Lord said in John 14 to his disciples, just before he went to the cross, he said, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. How come? That where I am, there you may be also. And we read in Hebrews 9, Hebrews chapter 9, it says there, Pick up there, verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ once was once offered, and that offering wasn't made to man, was once offered to the Father to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. My friend, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And we have no need to know the time when the Lord is coming back, but we know He is coming back. So why do men make endless speculations as to when the Lord is coming back? Well, the only reason they do that is draw attention to themselves. You see, beloved, we're not looking for a date. We're not looking for a time or a place. Rather, we're looking for a person who's coming. We're looking for that person who's coming back. We're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ who is coming back. We read in 1 Thessalonians. Turn there with me if you like. 1 Thessalonians. It says there in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, but of the times and the seasons. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You see... We're looking for that blessed hope. That blessed hope. If I'm quoting here from Titus. You want to look at that. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. This is what we're looking to, beloved. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You see, beloved, we're waiting for the Son who is coming back to receive us unto himself. Will he come? Will he come? Absolutely. Absolutely, he will. You have God's own word on that. Remember in Acts chapter 1, and we studied there when the risen Lord departed those apostles, and the angels appeared and said this, as they saw him ascend to heaven after 40 days in his risen body, whereby he ascended to heaven. And those heavenly messengers said there, this is Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse, verse, uh, Acts chapter 1, it says there,
there in the latter part of that verse, in the mid, mid part, I'll just, I'll just read the whole verse. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up for you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. As you see him go, he's coming back. And we read in Revelation 1, verse 7. It says there, And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Even so, amen. The wrath of God will abide upon every unbeliever, and they'll have to face the God of judgment without a Savior, without the sinner's substitute, Christ Jesus the Lord. And his second coming will not be a secret thing. You know, sadly, a lot of people talk about a secret rapture. Well, my friend, the Bible doesn't know anything about a secret rapture. For God's word says, every eye shall see him when he comes back the second time and his enemies will wail because of him. As a matter of fact, we read more about the day of the Lord's return in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. It says there, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her, un, her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? What a strange prayer. They hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and prayed out to the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb that is coming. Notice they didn't pray out unto the Lord for mercy and grace to help in time of need. Rather, they just called out to a bunch of dead, useless idols. We read again in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, our Lord declaring, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty God. And beloved, our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, is the Alpha and Omega the A to Z and everything in between of all our salvation and in all scripture. He's the beginning of it and he's the ending of it. You see, he's the beginning of the law because he's the lawgiver and he's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. In creation, he created all things and one day he will end it when he makes a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And he's the Alpha and the Omega of all things, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory both now and forever and ever. And so, beloved, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, to him be glory and dominion and power forever and ever. And the next word says, Amen. Or, uh, so be it. Amen.